Hello and welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Lynn Gibson, a senior tax trainer at Tax Banter and your host for today's podcast. I'm enjoyed joined by my colleague from Tax Banter, Leanne Hayes. Leanne brings over 18 years of tax training experience as well regarded as an enthusiastic, approachable and engaging presenter. Her strong tax technical knowledge was developed in the Australian Taxation Office where she held various technical, audit and training roles. Leanne has been a tax trainer since 2001. So, every year at this time, the tax office explains his tax time focus. There is also a lot of information about what you can and can't claim. Leanne is going to help me unpack the issues that are affecting this tax time. Leanne, thanks for joining me on today's Tax Yak. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. (laughs) It is. And it happens every year, surprisingly. And who would have believed we we're in the year ended 30th of June 2022, soon to start 2023 year. So what we want to focus on is work-related expenses, but also this focus that the Commissioner um, generally has each year. In the past, he's given us like different types of industries or professions such as the manager in a real estate agent, or there was one year where they were cake decorators and plasterers. Now, I I spent a lot of time trying to work out what was similar about those, and I thought it might have been the hand movement as you decorate a cake or plaster the walls. (laughs) But he focuses, had, had previously focused on particular industry. But times have changed, and I think it is because the ATO has got this ability to data match, they then are able to spread their wings a, a lot further and look at, um, look at um, a, a number of different areas. So this year, the ATO has told us they're going to focus on record keeping, work-related expenses, property income and deductions, and capital gains on crypto assets, properties, and shares. Leanne, that's a very wide range, isn't it? Yes, and um, it comes down absolutely to exactly what you said before about the tax office now having access to so much more data than they've ever had before. Um, We've spoken about in previous podcasts the fact that when you lodge a tax return, you get real-time prompts about things that you might be perhaps overclaiming according to the to statistics. I'm not going to say that you're actually overclaiming. And so this is all stuff that the tax office has got a previous history of, plus they're getting information from third parties. Um, they're getting information, and we'll talk about it later, from, from a lot of the um, interchanges that you might use for selling your, your crypto or um, you rent your property out, there is a central place where deposits are stored, state revenue office into capital gains. So this is all just those areas where the tax office says your tax returns the starting point and we can filter on through and drill down to other information. Remembering, of course, that all of that sort of um, further information that sits behind the number is now given and accessible to the tax office. So they see something in your D5 claim for other work-related expenses they can actually go and say, well, what do those numbers consist of? Let's look at what the taxpayer actually wrote. That's right. So saying various 
is probably not the right thing. Or yeah. having last year's dates on things <laughs> is probably going to cause the ATO to come and uh, mm. have, a, have a question. Yeah, my, always, standard, my standard was um, C spreadsheet. That's what I wrote for years and years. And I now figure if I write that, the tax office might knock on my door and say, yes, please. <laughs> Can I have that spreadsheet? Yes, exactly. And often um, we, we get the question of, oh, well, when will they come and do an audit? And there was a case um, just recently where the fellow had about, uh, what was it, $68,000 worth of income with $27,000 worth of deductions, about 40%. And I would say then that the more you're claiming, the more you chance you have of receiving a full audit. But this is not probably what the commissioner is focusing on, on here. It might bring him to look at you know, your record keeping, um, but also these smaller items, etc. especially when we talk about the work-related expenses, is just a matter of sending a blanket letter out to everybody saying, please give us information about this particular thing. Absolutely. In this um, area also, the Commissioner has uh, reminded us that the pre-fill going in on the 2nd or the 3rd of, of July probably isn't the best thing because it takes a little while to pre-fill. So the first thing you've got to remember is that your employer has to finalise your PAYG summaries and then has to get all that information into, in, into the, right, uh, the right boxes, etc. So he's reminded us, don't go too early because it'll just hold up your refund because I'll be looking at your interest and dividends and also things like, um, you know, thinking to yourself, oh, well, it, oh, I knew I had dividends from that company. It's not there. Well, the commissioner doesn't know about it. It's all okay. So those are the sorts of things that he wants to make sure that people um, don't have a problem with. Also, uh, we've got our marvellous, uh, what is it, uh, low to middle income tax offset uh, that went from $1,080 up to $1,500, so an extra $420, which you are going to get as a refund. And so people will rush for that, but just be careful. And I believe that, uh, the, that the Commissioner's texting people in a yes. nice way. <laughs> I'm very excited to get a text message the other day from the tax office, just reminding me exactly what you've just said there, that um, they'll let us, um, I guess, for those that are self-lodgers through um, my tax, my gov, they'll let you know that your tax return is ready. Obviously, those income statements have tax-ready status showing on them, um, but as opposed, as with respect to the rest of the pre-fill stuff, just wait, don't, don't do it on the 2nd of July, like you've just said. Um, the text message said that, that the information should be there somewhere between the 5th and the 19th of July. So you've got till the 31st if you're a self-lodger and obviously uh, tax agents out there have that extra time. It's no need to rush to get your $428 extra. <laughs> it'll just, if you go too early, it'll just get held up. So that's what you've got to be careful of. So when we're looking at things like our record keeping, um, one of the areas that, of course, is, uh, has, you know, in recent times affected a lot of our clients, and that is the bushfires and the floods. Um, what do we do, Lee, uh, if we have lost some of our information or all of our information? Has the Commissioner given us any guidance? Um, there's actually guidance in the legislation, which is um, obviously good. Now, what I'm talking about here is with respect to work-related expenses. So obviously that's for our individual taxpayers um, claiming deductions against employment income. Businesses obviously just have the normal record-keeping requirements to keep business records. But if you're talking about those substantiation rules under Division um, 900, 
there is a special, there is a specific mechanism or, or legislative provision that if you've lost your records, first thing you've got to look at is what type of records are they? Um, there is a difference between the what's called written evidence and those that are just, um, I guess, um, uh, documents that are required under the tax law. For example, if you need to have a travel record because you've been away from home for six nights or more, or you've got a logbook, that is um, uh, evidence you need to obviously substantiate your claim to get your deduction. If there's, there's no requirement if that's lost or destroyed to replace that. But if it is written evidence, so that's from a third party giving you um, the written evidence of the, the laptop you've purchased or, or whatever it happens to be, there is a requirement to try and actually replace that. So you have to go and contact that supplier, try to recreate as best you can, and um, is successful, that substitute document is taken to be the original. Now, if it's not reasonable for you to succeed because maybe the other um, organisation has been subject to the same flooding event or whatever, then that's okay. The commission can exercise discretion. But if it was reasonable and you just didn't do it, you're not going to get any kind of relief at all. Okay. So um, also the thing that um, the ATO uh, has well, we've had a couple of cases of recent times, haven't we, where there, I used to call it grabbing the wrong checkbook and not having, you know, the, the grabbing the wrong checkbook, writing a check out of this, this account where it should have been out of the other. But of course, these days, it's all electronic transfers and using credit cards and all that sort of thing. And we've had a few cases recently where the court actually said that it's not a problem if you do that as long as you have the records to undo it all and fix it all up. Meaning, you know, why do it in the first place? But to be able to then show it properly. But the ATO, you're going fine when they come out to do an audit and you're going, oh, well, there's some expenses over here in, in my wife's, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, credit card and over there in, in, in my kid's bank account, etc. He's going to sort of probably just do an asset betterment test. These days, of course, you know, grabbing, going into your computer, going into your Macquarie accounts and then discovering, you know, that you pick, clicked on the wrong ones can cause a problem. Record keeping itself is being able to distinguish and then show what is the true and fair um, amount of your income. So courts say, as long as you've got that, that's all right, right, but it is very much harder to show when you get there. So the commissioner has, has um, identified that people who deliberately try to increase their refunds, falsifying records or can't substantiate them, of course, uh, the ATO is taking a firm hand at it. The other thing that was, you know, once we get a, of course, once we get an election, um, anything that was pending in the parliament is taken off the table, as they say, and then reintroduced, if appropriate, by the new the new government. But we did have um, this idea that, uh, of course, if you were getting a record-keeping order, there were problems, well, then the, um, the commissioner could just um, only fine you. Well, they talked about them setting it up so you have to go to a record-keeping course or as I say, go off to record-keeping school, just like <laughs> employers who, who keep getting the super guarantee rock had to go to employer super guarantee school or trustees of super funds have to go to trustee school. So all of those sorts of things, um, the commissioner uh, is now trying to educate, not just fine. That didn't go through, but... No, 
you can see that, you know, it was on the previous government's agenda and I'm sure, you know, pretty much sure it'll come on this this government's agenda. Well, I'm assuming that, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so record-keeping expenses. Now, when everybody thinks about their record-keeping expenses, they often just think, oh, well, it's only, you know, an extra $300 here or $200 there or whatever. But as the commissioner said, a number of years ago when we got all of the overseas and the multinational stuff sorted he said now we're going to look at the next big um, area that caused the biggest tax gap and that is everyone in Australia thinks that oh everyone um, just goes and cheats a little bit on their tax so why can't I but if you think about everybody cheating a little bit on their tax there's so much um, that can go out the door. Like in 2021, 8.4 million people claimed work-related expenses at amount of $19.8 billion worth of deductions. So if everybody there is just cheating a little bit, that's where the commissioner's got his problem. Now, since announcing this work-related expenses crackdown a few years ago, that amount has actually reduced by a, a, a billion dollars. But it definitely is a an area where the commissioner is focused. And this idea real-time data matching is so important. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And the number of times I've had um, people talk to me, clients say to me, well, the tax office isn't going to be interested in $100 here or, 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 you know, a little bit there. Well, the answer is yes, he is. Um, absolutely, the commissioner is interested in that stuff because it's easy for him to work it out. Now, that computer analysis that we're talking about at the start, the data analysis, makes this job just so much easier. Um, there was a case we had recently where they were drilling down to the mobile phone expenses um, and the case ended up saying that the taxpayer could get $50 for his mobile plan, plan and $50 for his internet. And we, we spent a long time in one of my sessions talking about that. And someone's like, oh, the tax office isn't even going to look at that. You know, it's not going to come up. Well, it literally was in the case we were discussing. So it absolutely does come up. The days of just going, that's a little skim off the top, no one even cares, are over. That's right. And it's so easy for him to just press a button and say everybody who's claimed, um, you know, sort of the $150 for the work, you know, work um, uh, cleaning or laundry for your work um, related uniforms, pressing the button for that. Well, then, of course, that, you know, is a letter that goes out. And of course, um, you're going to have to explain it. So when we do look at our work-related expenses, there's a number of principles that um, actually exist. And Lee, could you just you know, run us through those principles to make sure that we're on the right, uh, the right <laughs> course before we go into some detail? Absolutely. Um, firstly, the, the section, the provision we're looking at is Section 8-1, just the general deductibility provision. So first and foremost, is the expense necessarily incurred in gaining or producing your accessible income? So is it incurred in gaining doing what you're doing now? And then we know we don't get a deduction to the extent it's capital, private, um, it's non-accessible, non-exempt, or um, the law specifically prohibits us. So something like your entertainment or parking would fit into that last category there. So once you've established that nexus, so we've incurred, showed this expense relates to our work-related activity, we then need the substantiation. So the substantiation is absolutely critical. Um, I often make the joke that it's, you know, the, the, the Division 900, the substantiation rules, they're, they're the Instagram of the tax world. If you don't have a record of it, it never happened. That's what my kids keep telling me. This why they're taking photos of absolutely everything that they see. 
same for tax. You need to have a record to claim the deduction. Um, and the onus is always on the taxpayer. Again, I can't tell you how many times you're out and about talking to people and, and the, the response is, well, how will the tax office ever know I didn't wear my sunglasses at work? Well, the point is they don't need to show that you did. You need to show. <laughs> well, they don't have to show you didn't. It's all The onus is always on the taxpayer. And that's absolutely critical when we're looking at work-related expenses. There is just that tighter need to, to substantiate and to prove your position when we're talking about work-related expenses. Things like also that you've got to have spent the money as well and not being reimbursed for it. You know, yeah. like like we've even changed our system recently where we used to, you know, get all our dockets and we you know, staple them and put them in an envelope and send them down to Melbourne and, and you know, we get reimbursed. Now we just scan them or take a photograph of them and send them down. Now I've got the original and that could be tempting for some people to then go and claim it because they've got the dockets there. But of course, all you need, all they need to do is go to your employer and say, so you don't reimburse and if they do, well, then, you know, how embarrassing that's going to be for you and your employer. And yep. also, you can't claim a deduction for it. Yeah. yeah. And again, I've had people say, will the tax office really talk to your employer? And the answer is absolutely. Right. Even for a car expense claim, uh, they will want evidence from the employer that you are, in fact, required to use your vehicle for work purposes. Okay. Unless, of course, you can show in your employment contract or the nature of your role is that you do. That's it. Yes, exactly. So when we're looking now, you know, we're, oh, I don't want to say post-COVID, but times have changed. I'm talking, I'm from Sydney and Lee's from Melbourne and I had such a terrible time and um, and I can't look at her when I'm saying I had such a terrible time being locked down because, of course, Melbourne was so much worse than anybody else in the, in the whole country. But, of course, the Commissioner is going, is looking at us coming out with things like face marks and rats tests and also our home office running, running expenses. So what is it that uh, we can do with our home office, Lee? Yes, well, this is the final year of the Commissioner's, what he's dubbed the shortcut method. So historically, we've always had two ways that we can claim deductions for our home office expenses. We can actually work out everything. So we could actually work out our power consumption and we could actually work out the depreciation of our office equipment over that long effective life and et cetera, et cetera. Or we've been able to use a 52 cents per hour. The 52 cents didn't include the depreciation, the consumables, so you still had a little bit of extra work to do, but it was a nice sort of easier way to do it. But it still required you to keep some sort of records of, um, I guess, your use of the space that you're using to, to do your work-related activities in. And of course, a reminder, you are never getting a deduction if you're using a shared space with someone else. What we've had since COVID is this idea of a, sh a shortcut, which is a one-stop shop for everything, and that was the 80 cents per hour. The tax officers made it clear that the 2022 year is the last year that we can use that. And then again, it's just a reasonable estimate of the hours that you've worked from home and you multiply that by your, your 80 cents per hour. But of course, again, getting down to being able to drill right down into that data, don't be work work out your expenses reasonably. Um, Lynn's got some fantastic, she's done all the maths on um <laughs> what you, you shouldn't be doing with respect to your claims. Um, but um, you just have to make sure that you're, you're you're not double dipping. That's the theme of one of the tax officer's documents at this time, isn't it, Lynn? That's right. We'll talk about that at, at, in a moment. So mm. what about face masks? Will they be deductible? They're a fashion, fashion statement now, aren't they? <laughs> well, in just, the winter. 
well there's some very stylish designs um <laughs> so um particularly in some areas i know that again i'm not sure what it's like up in sydney but there's still a requirement to wear the face mask um for example on the public transport when i go into the office so i'm i'm only going on the train because i'm going into the office so kind of it's tempting to sort of say that that would be tax deductible, but you're just going back to your basic principles, aren't you? Um, you're getting a deduction to the extent it's incurred in gaining or producing your accessible income, not if it's private and domestic. And because of that idea of being incurred, I can't claim a deduction for something that's happening too soon. So unless there is a requirement of your working environment to wear the face masks, then you're not going to be able to get a deduction for it. Um, it's not, um, um, I guess, on the train to get me to the office and home, that's incurred too soon, or it's incurred after the income earning activity has um, has ended. Um, but of course, if I'm in a, maybe a, a medical setting where it's a requirement to wear a mask, pretty sure the employer is going to be giving them to you. And again, you can't claim a deduction for something that you've um, uh, been given unless you've actually incurred the expense yourself. Um, I think if you're wearing that mask just because you're making a choice to wear that mask, I don't know that that's necessarily incurred in gaining or producing your accessible income. And of course, if we're wearing the, the mask that we wash and reuse again, you've got to apportion for private use. So just make sure you're keeping a bit of a log of the, <laughs> um, unless the setting, as I said, the setting you're working in still requires a face mask to be worn. I think that you've um, got a bit of problems with face masks now. Uh, face masks now that's right and that and that leads us to our rapid a rapid antigen tests well our done rats because if i was to say our rat test lee would get very upset with me because i'd be saying a rapid antigen test test so that's right them rats, okay so um and that was one of the issues with with those rats of course if you are you know having a test done so that you can go to work too early right mm. so I wouldn't be able to claim it as a tax deduction and if my employer was to give it to me well then there'd be fringe benefits tax on it because you know for for uh for whatever reason um you know they, they've given an, an expense benefit so what happened was that the commissioner allowed from the 1st of July 2020, or the Treasury allowed from the 1st of July 2021, that we can claim our rats from, uh, that we use for our work, our, our work related. So if we're going into the office, we are allowed to, to claim them. Yeah. So... I was yeah. going to say, it's an interesting one, though. So this is one of the um, budget, um, or the bill that came out after the budget, which is now law. Um, so you can get a deduction to the extent you're an individual. It's on a qualifying test. So we need to make sure we're not just buying some sort of um, one, any one off um, online from an overseas place. It has to be approved by the Australian Therapeutics Goods Association. Um, and then the legislation says, essentially, you get the deduction to the extent it's for determining whether you can attend or remain at a place of work. And I still feel like that's a little bit ambiguous. What if I decided to do a rapid antigen test on my way to a client, bit of a scratchy throat, I'm not directed by tax banter to do it. The client doesn't want me to show the test when I get there. Are you gonna give me a deduction, Lynn? Yeah, of course I am. <laughs> and it's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, look, I actually think that the real purpose behind this one is the FBT. Um, by making it tax deductible when the employer gives you the box, um, you 
they don't have to worry about FBT. And if anyone needs any of these tests, I've got a whole cupboard full. They keep giving them to the children, even though there's no requirement for them to test anymore. So oh. just speak to me after the session. I can um, <laughs> hit you up with a box. <laughs> um, but the thing but the thing there is, and this is what I always explain to people, that for an FBT purposes, it's the otherwise deductible rule, mm. FBT is full of uh, documentation, etc. So you have to, as an employee, give to your employer an otherwise deductible rule statement. Yeah. The issue I was going to bring up was that it is from the 1st of July 2021. I know here in Sydney in January 2022, uh -huh. trying to find, finally get up to Queensland because we were allowed to go, you know, you were just desperate to get these tests. Did I keep all the documents for that and substantiate all those tests that I bought? Well, the ones to get me on to see my nieces up in Queensland, of course, are not deductible, but I've used a number of those ones to allow me to go to clients so you know I don't have anything to substantiate it so I can't claim anything. Mm. The other yeah. disturbing thing I have is that the, uh, uh, the deductions remaining there indefinitely. Isn't this going to be over soon? <laughs> oh that's a worry, that's a worry. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to end because it's all ending. <laughs> okay so when you hear the words double dip it sends chills up and down your spine, especially if you go to a party. You know, that corn chip double dipped into the salsa, especially now that we have, uh, we've got our, um, our COVID, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near a double dipper. And that's what the commissioner has actually identified, that he's very concerned that people are double dipping into their expenses. So um, Lee, he talks about um, car and travel claims. I mean, what is he looking at there? Um, look, obviously, you need to be careful whenever you're, you can only claim deductions to the extent that you've incurred it. Um, and we we're talking a little bit about that skimming off the top and things like that, and the shortcut method for claiming deductions for your home office. Remember, it's really easy for the tax office to identify this stuff because they're getting so much data. So if you're claiming your home office expenses to the maximum amount and are also claiming travel expenses, then the commissioner can easily identify that and um, um, I guess question it. Obviously, we're talking about double dipping now, so I probably need to get my focus back a little bit there as well. But you can't claim a deduction. For example, there was a case where a guy, um, a taxpayer, was trying to claim travel expenses when he was provided with the motor vehicle from his car, uh, from his employer. Well, again, that's double dipping. You can't sort of have someone give you something and then claim deductions for essentially the same expense as well. You just need to make sure that um, you're only claiming deductions to the extent it relates to you. Now, with respect to our car claims, um, the cents per kilometre rate is 72 cents per kilometre at the moment. 2022. Yeah, yep. yep. And it's going to go up. Um, we've just heard to 78 cents yes. per kilometre. They had they had announced that it was 75 and then the petrol went up. Yeah. And we actually listened for the first time in a long time and put it up to 78 yeah. cents. But that's from the 1st of July. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, just making sure that you're not claiming um, deductions. I, I, again, uh, getting back to making sure, you, you know, if you, you're working from home and you're working exclusively from home, you shouldn't be having travel expenses as well or uniform expenses or, or anything else. 
That's right. So so as far as the, the car is concerned, the commissioner has identified with that double dipping, some people claiming the cents per kilometre, whether it be up to the 5,000 or, or, or less, and also claiming their depreciation, rego, um, insurance and all that sort of thing. Mm. So they're claiming both lots of things. And remembering too, that you can only claim on those cents per kilometres if you own the car. Yeah. Okay, so if you've got, you know, your flatmate and they've got a tandem parking and you grab their car and you drive or your mum or your dad's or whatever it is, you can't claim it. You can only claim the portion, the amount of uh, petrol that you actually, actually use. Yeah. Now, if you have two cars, you can actually claim two lots of 5,000 kilometres, can't you? Yeah. Because if I've got my Ute and my Mercedes, and um, uh, I'm dreaming there, uh, but if I've got, you know, like the sedan and the Ute and I use it, you know, sort of alternate, I go and see the clients in, in my um, sedan, but I go onto the job site in my Ute, well, then I would just work out the, have the records of the kilometres that are used. Also, uh, if you've got a husband and wife, they're taken to be allowed to use the same car and both of them have, can have 5,000 kilometres each in the car if they can show that they actually use it. Yeah, and jointly and, own it. And jointly own it, yeah, yeah. And we had another case of a logbook fellow who said, yes, I've got a logbook, but all he'd done is written down the number of kilometres, said that was a logbook multiplied that by the, uh, what was it, the the petrol. Price of fuel. Mm. Price of fuel and then claimed all of that was $17,000 worth of expenses. And, of course, you've got to, with the logbook, have your opening and closing the domino readings. That gives you a percentage. Then you have to substantiate all your expenses uh, to work out that actual claim. And and Lee sort of spoke about this whole issue of our home office expenses and double dipping there. The commissioner noted that there's been some people that, you know, work 40 hours a week, uh, times 48 weeks because they have their four weeks annual leave, times the 80 cents. Well, straight away, that's $1,500 worth of, of uh, claims that can be made. But surely people had the public holidays off. So, you know, things like that, you've got to stop and think what actual days were you working. But the commissioner noted that some of those people are then travelling their 5,000 kilometres times their 72 cents to get their $3,600. And he's saying, well, if you're working your whole work year from home, how can on earth have you have that travel expenses? And then they're claiming their uniform they're working from home why they're wearing a uniform isn't a tracksuit and they're also planning that magical $150 worth of laundry they're the sorts of things that he's identified he'll look at and say if you've done this how can you've done that you know etc so looking at that uh that double dipping also uh this this uh this year we were hoping to have a change to our self-education expenses mm. From that reaction, it doesn't sound like it went through. So no, no, I've been waiting a long time for this one. So we all know when we're doing a self-education um, deduction claim, we've got to think about that section 82A. That's that quirky little provision that says the maximum amount that you can claim for uh, self-education expenses under section 8-1 is your total expenditure on self-education less $250. 
So we know we can get around it by looking at our expenditure. And as long as you identify expenditure that's either A, deductible outside Section 8-1, or even non-deductible expenditure as long as it relates to self-education, and I can assure you I'd drink $250 worth of coffee if I was still studying, or just now. Um, <laughs> so you can identify these expenses outside Section 8-1 to get around it, but it's compliance work. So this provision, this Section 82A, I think came in in the late 1970s when there was this sort of education um, assistance that was given to people to encourage um, tertiary education, further education. Then in the early 80s, I believe they removed the incentive but kept the reduction to the deduction. So we've been waiting about 30, 40 years to have this um, um, uh, provision removed. And they finally said that they were going to get rid of it. We even had the legislation before parliament, election comes along, parliament's prorogued, we've lost the, the it's lapsed. Wow. So hopefully it goes back in just for a compliance saving. <laughs> so that means for the 2000 and, uh, uh, 2022 year, Mm. You've still got to do that exercise, yeah. um, redundant exercise of, of taking that $250. Finding $250 off. somewhere. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so now we go on to the next section, which is the property income and deductions. So, Lee, what is the Commissioner told us that he's going to focus on in this area? Yep. This is your data matching. So the tax office, again, the data that they have um, available to them, um, obviously coming through their own mechanisms, but they also do data matching with external sources. So um, not specific to this year, but um, certainly in the past, they will data match with revenue authorities, state revenue authorities across the country to work out if there's been a property sale. And if it doesn't match where you've got as your main residence on your tax return, a please explain will be issued. Um, they're drilling down even further this year um, and uh, going to our um, uh, data matching rental bonds and property, property management fees. So if you put a rent, if you have a rental bond, if you're leasing out your, um, your um, premises, your rental property, tenant comes in, they put their, pay their bond, you don't get that. Of course, it sits in the trust fund in these um, uh, bond, um, where all the bonds sit the tax office now has that information. So one would assume that you're only doing that if you're using the property for an income producing purpose and, and rented it out. So the tax office is going to expect the address to that property to be listed somewhere in a rental property schedule. And remembering again, they can drill down to all that data sitting behind. Um, likewise with your, your Airbnbs, um, tax offices data matching. They've got the details of properties that have been listed. And again, might go and say, hey, we note that there's um, these transactions have happened. We're expecting to see some revenue for that. And you're not leasing your property out for fun. So they're expecting to see some um, income being returned into a tax return. And of course, the deductions in those areas, um, are, you've got a proportion, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, getting back to what I said, Section 8-1 gives you a deduction to the extent um, and so available for rent, and that's genuine availability for rent. You can't have your lavish holiday home available for rent on one tiny little listing on the real estate agent's board at an exorbitant rate for one week a year and say that the property is available for rent. Um, it has to be genuinely available for rent. And um, the tax office in the past, not specific to this year, but in the past has actually targeted real estate agents down in um, holiday destinations and said to them, give me the list of the properties that you've got there, um, just so they can get that sort of profiling happening of, of the properties that are one are available for rent and whether they're genuinely available for rent. 
yes, because if you had, you know, sort of that that property, and yes, it's available for rent except for school holidays, Christmas and Easter, um, it would probably be the commissioner would be saying, well, are you genuinely trying to rent this out? Yeah. Um, you know, sort of, and that can be a problem. Yeah, I'm reminded of a case many years ago. There was a, a property that the, the um, taxpayer was trying to argue was genuinely available for rent. He had some chickens or something on it. So he was quite particular ducks it was that's right (laughs) and he was very particular you couldn't rent the property if you had children if you had a pet if your name ended in a y like he was very very particular with and the the tax office the commissioner said it's just not genuinely available for rent and the AAT agreed that's right yeah so now finally uh the commissioner has talked about um capital gains crypto assets property and shares but just looking at how he matches things up i was talking to uh, a client um just recently and they had uh, a taxpayer that had and told them that they had eighteen thousand dollars worth of gardening now the the tax agent said to them, well, show us, you know, that seems a lot for gardening. And there were two invoices, you know, three men for three days or whatever. Um, They did ask them and said, are you sure this isn't landscaping? Oh, no, no, the answer came back. I want you to claim it as gardening. Well, within five days of lodging that return, there was a query, please explain or send the, the documents regarding the gardening. And could you also explain why the property that you're claiming this on has been sold during the year and you have not included that in your capital gains tax schedule? Now, at the time, the client had was was uh, a, a gentleman and a lady, and they were married. Each of them had their main residence. They were married and bought a third property, and this was the husband's main residence, and he was claiming it within the six-year period. And, of course, they were able to explain the, uh, well, they were going to explain about the main resident exemption, but you know that if you're claiming that for the husband, then you can't claim it for the wife's property or for the for the one that they joint, jointly owned for that actual period. So you can see there that the, they'll look at and they'll match between the expenses being claimed and then the capital gains also being being um, being uh, reported, etc. Um, also, shares. Uh, there's been many cases. I heard of one case where the client, you know, had a, a decent portfolio of shares, had given the tax agent only half of it and kept the other half for himself. And then when the data matching um, happened, the, uh, the the taxpayer had to confess that they actually had twice as many shares, but they just weren't uh, giving that to the to the tax agent. And they were quite uh, quite angry with the tax agent, thinking the tax agent had put all this information in. But they get their the the um, their hands on the information from. Uh, the the uh, stock exchange, they've got all the dividend information and all of that sort of thing as well. And the other thing is your crypto um, assets. Always say if you've got a document where you set out and ask questions of your clients, do you ask them, have you had a painting that you bought you know 10 years ago for $500 that you've now sold for $3,000? Have you got that caravan or the boat? that were cost you over $10,000 that you've now sold. All of those things, clients don't twig that that can be a, a, a private use asset or a collectible jewellery, 
you know, like I might have been given that uh, fantastic diamond um, engagement ring and now I'm selling it for whatever reason and make a profit, well, that's taxable. So let's then go to your other personal use asset, which basically is your crypto, crypto assets and cryptocurrency. And this is an area where the commissioner has said that he has access to the platforms. And most people think, oh, this is all secret. Nobody knows. Well, they don't know what's happening under the platform. But above the platform where you are dealing, the commissioner knows that there has been dealing and, of course, has got all that information and will put that into your or expect you to put it into your return. Yeah, I had a client the other week, Lynn, actually say to me that their client was doing this overseas, thinking, well, we're absolutely outside the tax offices, you know, sites here. Then they converted it from US dollars into Australian dollars and brought it back and wondered why they got the please explain from the tax office. Exactly, exactly. Now, that's interesting because I was just about to say that, you know, if I had Bitcoin, sold it and bought Ethereum and then sold that and bought Ripple and then sold that and bought Dodge and never bought it back into Australian dollars, it still is a capital gains tax um, transaction every time I do it. Or if you are doing it as a business, of course, just normal normal business uh, business income. So you've got to be aware of all of those transactions causing that idea of a capital gain. Now, we do have a podcast on um, our cryptocurrency and it goes through all of those, uh, all of those different changes and, uh, sorry, and all, all of that dis- discussion on whether it's a business or whether it's um, a, a capital gain and we're soon to have a blog on that. But it's asking your clients and getting an understanding The other thing to remember, too, and I always say this to clients, you know, in the olden days, because you can tell, you know, how many times I say in the olden days, how old I am. But when Nana died, you used to go out the back and you dig up the backyard looking for the cash that they'd left in the backyard. Or my darling great aunt, she uh, had $50 notes pinned to the inside of her jackets. Um, and that's how she kept her cash. Well, a lot of people have got their cash in their wallet, in the cloud. Well, it's not in a cloud. It's somewhere in the, you know, so some desert somewhere in a great huge, because this Running this crypto area, the amount of electricity it takes, you know, if these young people just thought about they're trying to save the planet, if they weren't dealing in cryptocurrency, it would help save the planet. But the fact is that that 50-digit number is the thing that's going to keep you, uh, keep your your ownership of that actual um cryptocurrency problem is is that if i was to say oh look i can't remember it i'm worried about not remembering and i give it to leanne leanne has every right to trade on my cryptocurrency it's gone lynn it's gone (laughs) millions in cryptocurrency um no and so the problem with that of course is that if you forget it that's it you've lost it and that'll be sitting up there and um, in the podcast um, that uh, Michael Bode has he talks about the story of the fellow that had millions in cryptocurrency he actually uh, wrote the number down folded it up put it into a fishing rod I think that um, he uh, he owned had it in the garage and of course his place got robbed all his sporting equipment got stolen and so therefore this these thieves don't realize that they've got uh, a 50 digit number that they're now waiting uh, that they you know 
will never know what it's for, but it's for that cryptocurrency. Other problem is things like if you've lost that, how do you prove to the commissioner you lost it? How do you prove to commissioner that you don't know what that number is and what it was that you purchased in the first place? Things like our, our um, uh, Terra, uh, Terra um, coin and, and the Luna coin. Like the Terra, this is this is what gets me. They wanted this uh, cryptocurrency. They wanted it not to be tied in with any particular um any particular um, uh, currency, and what's happened is that they, in that case they were it was attached to the if people thought they were investing and it was a US dollar investment, and of course there was no backing, and um, and Luna was uh, tied into it, and of course they all lost their funds. So the thing that you've got to be aware of: what your clients doing? Are they? operating a business as such and if not are they then uh, it will be on capital capital account and capital gains so there's your you know capital gains that the commission will be looking looking for um, and uh, so just to recap it's record keeping work-related expenses property income and deductions and then those capital gains we've discussed so just looking at um, things like any tool toolkits or any help that the commissioner can give us when we are trying to collect our data. Is there any of those, Lee? Yeah, look, the tax office each year is issuing more and more of this stuff and it's, it's really useful, some of it. Um, so they've got a whole heap of tax time toolkits, which they've only recently updated as um, recently as, as last week. Um, so middle of June there, late June. Um, so we're seeing things, just the types of income that the tax office will want us to declare um, deductions. There's occupational guides and they are being updated. We, we do a, a sort of a special topic, which we roll from one year to the next. And we used to list them. And it's just, it's an unwildly list now. We just, there's, there's no point listing them all now. It's always worth having a look at those just in case there's those obscure things. I know that there's occupations out there. I've got no idea what they do. So as a tax agent in particular, it's good just to sort of see the kinds of expenses you'd want to be seeing and, and perhaps thinking about. Um, they've certainly got investor toolkits as well. So uh, uh, you know, the title of this podcast is all about sort of the other things that the tax office might look at as well. Well, they're always looking at our investors and sort of <laughs> um, making sure that, that they're, the correct amounts are recorded there for deductions and those other things as well. Um, they also have um, small business toolkits as well, um, accessing all the different small business concessions and those sorts of things. Um, absolutely. And is there any tax tricks or traps that you want to remind people of? Look, I certainly, again, um, don't just make the sort of mistaken assumption that the tax office isn't interested in the small amounts. Um, they absolutely are. It's easy for them, them to do. Um, we know that there's, um, getting back to my good old substantiation provisions that I was talking about before, we know that there's um, sort of gen the exemptions in the legislation. So the $300 for work-related expenses, your laundry for $150, um, the travel expenses where you don't need to substantiate if you're within the commissioner's reasonable amounts and those sorts of things. You still can't get past the golden rule that you need to have incurred the expense. 
and that's what the tax office will, will want to look at. Um, I know I've said it every year, but I'm still get amusement from the fact that when I was a young grad in the tax office, the um, gentleman comes in, hands me his tax return and says, oh, I've completed my tax return. I just need you to fill in the automatic deduction, you know, the one that everyone gets. Um, well, no, you don't just get an automatic deduction for your $300 work-related <laughs> expenses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's the the the, the one, and and I mean, I re always remember that uh, tax agent that you know, sort of that it was amazing that every one of their clients in the last four years, it was a miracle, all had two hundred ninety eight dollars worth of deductions. Yeah, <laughs> of course you have to spend money. It's 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 mind blowing because you go, well, hang on, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. I have to prove that I spent the money, but I don't have to substantiate. You have to prove that it's yep. reasonable that you've spent the money and that yep. and you've diarised or whatever, and then you don't have. And to. that's the mistake people make with the travel as well. Um, the mm. other tip I think is just the fact that the tax officers data matching their computer analysis I think they call it the data mining or the, whatever it is that is getting more and more sophisticated so just be careful with your descriptions um, I think the more information you get give you probably less well, my personal opinion is the less likely it is that, you, that if the tax office sees a number that is a lot alarmingly large on the tax return but they can see the information behind it well that, that, that might explain why um, and remembering those pop-ups and those things that say your work-related expenses are higher than we should be it's just a risk analysis it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. So that might be a good way to sort of then knock that in the head by just actually um, explaining, right. explaining more explaining what that means. Because yeah. that becomes a difficulty, doesn't it? When they say, mm. oh, last year your expenses were higher than the normal percentage. Mm. And so therefore you reduce it this year. They might turn mm. around and go, oh, well, obviously it was a problem last year. Or if you mm. keep it because it's genuine this year, are they going to mm. come and audit? Well, if it's genuine, you shouldn't be worried about it. It's just yeah. really time time and effort to do that. But, it, you know, you just need that um, to, to be yeah. able to do those sorts of things. So any par uh, final words, Lee, that you would like to make? No, no. Just be careful. Um, yeah. yeah just, just, just don't think you can fudge it and get away with it. I, I know we, we don't, but um, um, and we always try and encourage our clients to do the right thing, just as we we try and do the right thing ourselves. Um, just have your records, make dot your eyes, cross your t's, and um, yeah, don't just assume that the small things are just uh, irrelevant to the tax office. They're not. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for your, um, helping us get through this uh, this area of tax. Um, as as in each year, as I said, we come across this, and it's always a good good reminder to have a bit of a chat about what we should be doing. And thank you for listening to this episode of Tax uh, Tax Yak. I've been chatting with Lee Hayes, my colleague at Tax Banter. If you'd like to contact us on social media, you can find us on LinkedIn or and Twitter. Let us know your take on the episodes or suggest future topics or speakers. You can also get on to the TaxYak um, team by email podcast at taxbanter.com.au and find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au banter blog. If you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and write a review um, for the show wherever you are. It will help to improve the profile of the show and we would love to hear your thoughts. Look forward to us joining you, joining us next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Happy New Year.